0: Amen. Thank you, Lord, again, just for your your grace to us, for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for the chance to to gather here as your people this morning, Lord. We thank you that we get to come to you as forgiven people, Lord. That you, through the blood of Christ, through His death and His resurrection, you have you've have washed us clean, uh, made us pure, made us holy, and that as we come to you, Lord, uh, we, we confess that we. So often we, we struggle with the memory of sin and the guilt of it, or we don't have the, the luxury or the ability in this life to forget about our sin, uh, but you do, Lord. Your word says that you, you cast our sin as far away from us as the east is from the west. And so we get to come to you this morning as forgiven, understanding that, that you see us not in our sin, but in, in Christ. God, we ask that you do work in our hearts this morning, Lord. We know that you you change us through your word, by your spirit, and so we come hopeful, we come expectant that you're going to do that very thing in us this morning as we come to you in your word. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. You all can have a seat. Romans 12 this morning. Turn there with me if you would in your Bibles. Good morning, by the way. How are we doing? Everybody good? Doing all right? Romans 12. We'll be picking up in verse 3 this morning. And we'll be going through verse 8. Let me go ahead and read this, read our text. Again, starting in verse 3, going through verse 8. Paul writes For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think. Sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And so if prophecy, use it in according in accordance to the proportion of one's faith. if service. Use it in service, if teaching, in teaching, if exhorting, in exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, there was a, a book written about Robert F. Kennedy, uh, and, and in it, the author, he, he spoke a little bit about how his brother's assassination changed him, what the effects of that were on his life. Uh, and one manifestation of this that he pointed out was that he he began to take on causes that championed America's uh, dispossessed, like anti-poverty and, and civil rights reform. But, but what was it about his brother's death specifically that caused him to be concerned with things like this? Well, the author's answer was this. He, he said, he became more interested in people as opposed to abstract ideas. Now, whether you agree with his politics or not, the sentiment is admirable and, and, and one that we should all be able to agree is far less prevalent than it should be or even that we would prefer it to be. As we know, far too often in this world, people are more concerned with any number of things like money and, and power and prestige, notoriety, whatever it is, they're more concerned with those things than they are real people. But the concern for us this morning is not so much that this would just be a problem that exists outside of the church and in, in kind of the world of pop culture and politics, but one that exists within the church as well. Because as God's people, we too are witnesses to a death that should have massive implications on the things that we care about in this life. Natural man is inclined towards the glory of, of himself and whatever the heart's desire is, but the gospel tells us that if Jesus Christ really did come down from heaven and he really did die... And he really did rise again, then that changes everything. It changes what we're concerned with and it changes what we're after in this life. All of a sudden, our life and, and purpose become wrapped up in his and we become servants of his glory, not of our own. And so, the question for all of us this morning is Has the death of Christ left you more concerned with people than you were before? Does the death of Christ make you more interested in, in people or, or like abstract theories about how the, way, the ways that the world works and why it works the way it works? Or, or even abstract theories about God and Christianity. Which things dominate your thoughts and your emotions in life? Part of what we find when we try to answer this question in the gospel is that it's, it's, it's somewhat of a false dichotomy, right? With Robert Kennedy, it was abstract theories about uh, policy and whatnot, but the thought life of the Christian is theology. It's what we think about God and, and the way that He works in the world. And rightly understood, there should be this kind of uh, mutually informative relationship between our theology and the life that we live every day. And we could say it like this our, our orthodoxy should match our orthopraxy. What we believe should inform what we do, and what we do should match. Our beliefs, we need to understand the gospel and what the Bible teaches so that we can live lives that are, that are fitting expressions of everything that it says. What's this have to do with our illustration? Well, if we, if we understand the death of Christ rightly, if we understand the gospel and its implications on life, one thing that should result from that is being more interested in the good of other people and using our lives for the betterment of each other. The right understanding of the gospel should compel us to be interested in the good of the person next to me. We'll see this this morning in the form of what Jesus gives us and what we are to give each other. We could frame it like this, I think. Theologically, Paul, he wants to tell us about two things that Jesus gives us through his death and his resurrection. Identity and function. Two things Jesus gives us through his, his work. Identity and and function and what it tells us that we should do in response is turn to Christ in faith by giving my neighbor all that I have. And so let's let's just walk through this text with, with those ideas in mind. The first thing that we receive through the death and resurrection of Christ is identity. This is the essence of our salvation, friends. It's it's our identity in union with with Christ, it's what this entire text is grounded upon. This is nothing new in the Book of Romans. If you've been following along, it's been the grounds on which uh, he, he's really reasoned heavily since all the way back in chapter five up until where we are now. And it's what he picks up on right here in verse verses four and five. He says, "Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are, and here's the key phrase." One body in Christ. One body in Christ. Paul says, not only are we now in Christ in our salvation, but he reveals part of what that looks like. That in Christ we are united not only to Jesus, but to each other. And this is actually how the Bible begins to define who we are now. We're united to Jesus, we are, we are found in him, but we are also now part of one another in the way that a single member of the body is part of the whole body. If you're getting what Paul's saying here, this is, this is very quickly going to feel kind of weird and maybe uncomfortable and not right to us sitting here, uh, because we, we've all lived in a context and a culture that places a, a very, very high value on individualism. That individual freedom, individual autonomy, individual preferences, individual uniqueness. I'm different than anyone else, and, and that makes me, me, right? Right? But here goes the gospel now, and here goes Jesus, and here goes God's word, not willing to define you by any of those things. Instead, completely contrary to the way that we often think and define ourselves, God defines us by the way that we are related to another person. Uh, It's kind of similar to how, like, around here, you know how we we identify the entire family by the name of the, the father or the husband? You know what I'm talking about? This was a this was a new phenomenon to me, by the way. Like where I'm from, it would be uh, Mark and Regina, right? Or my parents would be Norm and Amy, uh, and and it didn't it didn't always go like man then woman. It depended on which one sounded better, right? So like uh, like we had family friends who were Don and Gary because Gary and Don just it just didn't sound right, right? And I was kind of like felt weird about that. I was like, is that disrespectful to put the woman's name for like I felt I felt that tension a little bit, but. Around here, like, y'all, like we don't even mess around with any of that, right? It's just Mark's, <laughs> Dwayne's, Eli's, right? The entire family is defined by the relationship to one man. And this is what happens when we become a part of God's family. We're no longer defined by our own individual selves. We are defined in the gospel first by our relationship to God in Christ. That's our union with him. <laughs> And because we are in him, we are defined by our relationship to other believers. The other members of Christ's body. Now, just keep that thought for a second. Hold on to that. And read verse 3 again with me. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think Sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one, what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about this very thing that we've just brought up. He's talking about the reality that we're just a member of the whole body. Let's keep making connections for a second. Notice how this is—it's—it's kind of the same thrust that he was making in Romans 11 that we talked about a few weeks ago. The commands there uh, to to not be arrogant, don't boast, don't be prideful or conceited—it's the same thing here. Don't think of yourself as more than you ought to. And remember the reasons why you shouldn't do that back in Romans 11. It was because you're, you're a single branch on a whole tree grafted in by Christ. You're united to Jesus. That was, that was the whole point in the imagery back in Romans 11. Now here in Romans 12, you are now in Christ and are one member of a whole body. Different metaphor, same kind of imagery an idea that we're getting here, and for the same reason, so that you would not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. And, and this is part of how Paul fleshes out what it actually looks like to not be conformed to this age, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He uses the same exact logic and, and even sentence structure here. Do not think more of yourself than you ought. Instead, think sensibly. Think sensibly. So what does it look like to be conformed to this world? Well, it's, it's thinking more of yourself than you ought to. And what does it look like to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Part of that is thinking sensibly. How? By seeing that who you are now is in Jesus. That you are a part of an entire body in Christ. If you look in Ephesians 4, Paul makes a similar point about, about the, the renewed mind and how it sees itself uh, rightly being defined in connection with the body. And so turn there with me, if you would, uh, just quickly. And actually, just keep your finger there because we're going to go back there again in a second. I'm looking here starting in verse 22. Ephesians 4, verse 22, where he says, You took off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's the phrase. You put on the new self. And then when he begins to talk about what that looks like in verse 25, he says that that, that part of that is that we're to speak the truth to one another because we are members of one another. So again, here, here it's about the old man versus the new man. But it's all the same idea, right? It's about, it's about seeing yourself rightly through the renewal of your mind, putting on the new identity in Christ, and understanding how we are united to one another as a part of that. And so, friends, here's the deal. Can I, just, can I shoot it straight with you this morning? Are we good with that? You good? That's what we do. We don't mess around out here, right? If you tell me that you have faith in Christ and that he saved you, but, but you, you aren't committed to the local church and, and don't really see your need to be, I'm not going to tell you that you're not a Christian, but, but I am going to say I'm just not sure what you mean by that. Like, what we're, what we're talking about is that serious. It's that tethered to the gospel, friends. This is literally how the Bible is defining you if you are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> your salvation Yes, it's, it's individual, but it's not in isolation from the body. There's just no category for that. So much so that part of your identity in Christ is being part of his body, his church. And you can, you can see very quickly how this begins to, to sort of reshape how we think about ourselves and the purpose of our lives that we've been called to in the gospel. Friends, it's, it's specifically what Christ has saved us into it leads us to be more concerned with people, specifically here the people that we're united to in the body of Christ. This this concern for others that we should have, it's expressed through our service to the body. Not only are we defined by our union with Christ and with each other, this, this image of the body, it also informs us that we also have a specific function to uphold in the body of Christ because we are members of it the function comes out of or is defined by the right identity. Let me re-get, uh, sorry, read again from the second half of verse 3, and I'll go, through, I'll go through verse 5 here. He says, Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in, the, in, in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Notice again the 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 parallels here. Just like there's many parts in one body and all the parts they don't have the same function, well, the church is the same way, right? We all make up one body, but we are also individual members of that body and as such we all have and should carry out different but specific functions. In that body, this is what he's getting on in verse three as well, with this idea that God has distributed a, a measure of faith to each one. What is the measure of faith? Well, as always, I think the context helps answer this. If we, if we just follow Paul's thought, it seems like it has to do with the, the different functions that we each have. Um, you, you'll see down in verse six when he begins to actually exhort each person to use their gift, he says that we should use it according to the standard of one's faith. You see that in verse 6. Same kind of language. And so this measure of faith that we've been given, it has something to do with the gifts we've been given and how we're to use them. I think Ephesians 4 is again helpful here. If you've still got your finger there, look back with me. Uh, now, Now beginning in verse 11, where he starts talking about how Christ. He's given different gifts to different people, right? For the, for the training of the ministry, that's what he says, to build up the body of Christ. So that's kind of the, the purpose of the gifts that he's talking about, that, that each one would contribute to building up Christ's body, the church. But then the ultimate purpose or the goal, I think, is stated there in verse 13. Look at that with me. He says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by, so again, same kind of language there, same idea, but measured by what? Measured by Christ's fullness. And so I think the idea here is that when when each person uses their gifts to build up the body, right, each person is functioning within the body the way they should, the result of that is the full measure of Christ. Are you following me on that? And, And in our text in Romans 12, it's this measure of faith it's simply the way that God has enabled each person to contribute to that work in each other, right? And, and when each person is, is uh, working within their measure, the result that we see from that is the fullness of Christ in the body. That's the idea. Theologically, um, you'll hear people talk about the, the unity and the diversity in the body of Christ. Those are, those are uh, popular terms that they'll use to talk about. This idea and this is really essentially what they're talking about. On one hand, we we want to emphasize that the the whole body it's it's one being, it's one collective unit. But we also want to acknowledge that within that that whole collective unit are individual parts that are all needed to make up that one being. Does it make sense? And so similarly, if you were to uh, look look up here at me today, uh, you you wouldn't say well, there's an arm and there's a foot and there's a leg, right? No, you'd say that's, that's a person up there, right? That's Mark Russell. I know that okay. guy, <laughs> hopefully. But at the same time, like you look at me right now and you can see there's individual parts, right? Like you see, I've got, I've got two arms. I've got two legs. I've got, I've got two feet. And, and all of those things put together, they make up the entire being that I am that makes Mark Russell. And the body of Christ is no different in this. There is both unity and and diversity in the body. But here's the other thing that the gospel tells us. Every single part is just as important as the others. And they all need each other to perform their function just as much as anyone else. No single part of the body is, is more important than the others. Every part of the body needs every other part to do its job and function within its function or else the whole body suffers. And so maintaining both unity and diversity in the body, it prevents any member of the body from thinking more highly of himself than he ought because it shows us that each member and function is defined by its relation to the whole. And, here's the thing, and it exists not for the glory and good of its own, but for the good and the prosperity of the whole body. Uh, Let me me illustrate this for you with... uh, With sports, Um, some of you basketball fans, or maybe uh, avid Cleveland sports fans, God bless you. If there's any of those in the in the house this morning, you'll remember back in 2016 when the Cleveland Cavaliers won their first ever NBA championship. Remember anybody remember that? Good times, man. Yeah, I got Nate's Nate's with me here. Uh, Good memories, right? It's been some harder ones since then, but good memories. We had uh, we had LeBron and Kyrie dropping 40. 40 on them dudes, right? Came back from 3-1, made NBA history. Good times. But while all that was happening, (laughs) all the way down at the end of the bench, there was a dude sitting there named Jordan McRae. Uh, Jordan McRae, who in in a a seven-game series, he played one game for three minutes. (laughs) Jordan McRae. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't hate on that dude. Don't hate on Jordan McRae. Because here's the thing about him he got a ring. <laughs> and in fact, he got the same exact ring sitting on the end of the bench that LeBron James did, that Kyrie did, dropping 40 on those dudes, and just like every other member of the team did. The championship ring was not given to the highest contributor, it was given to every member of the team. And if we could just kind of keep going with this, when we, when we look at the 2016 Cavaliers through the lens of the gospel, can we do that for a second? with the way that Paul's talking about, (laughs) we can see that the reason everyone got a ring is because they're one collective unit. So if you see Jordan McRae and you think of him as just some sort of second-class citizen who's just tagging along, right, reaping the benefits of other people, that's not it. (laughs) That's not it. Jordan McRae served a function on that team. He showed up every day. You didn't see it on TV I didn't see it on TV, nobody saw it, but he was there contributing to the betterment of the whole group and everyone reaped the rewards as a result of it. Even though he didn't have the same kind of performance that a that a LeBron James or a Kyrie Irving did on that stage, it wasn't ultimately about that or about them specifically. It was about the team and everyone's individual role and function on that team, no matter what it was, was absolutely required for that team to function at its peak and accomplish its purpose. Are you with me here? But what do we do in our sports? <laughs> we don't look at it like the gospel. We, we isolate every player. We look at each person's contributions. We look at how each person shows up in the big moments. We see LeBron with the ball in his hands more than anyone else. We look at him and we say, that's the guy, right? He's the one. He won the championship. We measure each individual person by our own standards and we try to assign rank and importance based on performance and prestige and what looks most glorious to the human eye. And here's the press. Here's what I want to pull out of you with all of this. Is this how you think about our churches as well? I can't overstate how much church unhealth there is in American Christianity, specifically because people have failed to view the church as a whole body, and have instead viewed it only in terms of individual people. This has created deep, deep feelings and cultures of of certain roles and functions being elevated over others, and it's resulted, hear me, in the betterment of nobody. Those who are elevated, they've been put in a place that they don't belong, unable to recognize their need for the entire body in their own gospel maturity and walk with Christ. Those who have been minimized, They've wrongly assumed that the Lord has more purpose for those with different giftings than they have, and they fail to see the Lord's purpose for them in the life of his people. And I'll, <laughs> I'll be honest, can I shoot it straight with you again this morning? That's just what we're doing this morning. You guys good? Um, I've been a pastor for all of about five seconds now. But I've been around a lot of them, so I'm just going to say it anyways, right? Pastors are the worst about this. And let me just say by God's grace, and it really is, it really is by God's grace that, that I think we have leaders in our church in Mercy Hill that have, that have a grip on this. I can say that with a clear conscience. Because it's, it's, a, it's a huge problem in the cultural Christianity that we find ourselves in. But there's always the temptation that the pastor who's, who's up here in front of everyone every week talking Who's, who's leading Bible studies and leading classes and leading prayer meetings, who's meeting with people, there's always the temptation that he would begin to see himself as an individual and not as a member of the entire body. That he would begin to inflate himself in his own eyes and in his individual function, seeing himself as more important than others and not seeing himself rightly as just one function for the good of the entire body. Not even see his, his own need as, a, as, as first a member of that same body. For every member of that body to serve their function as well. For his own health. But, but even in that, hear me, it's not just on the pastors. <laughs> even in that, it's a, it's a call to all of you as well. Because, because you're no better when you allow yourself to see any single person in that light. It, it, it's, a, it's a wicked double-edged sword where, where everyone becomes conditioned to see themselves and others as individuals and then begin to see some people as more important than others and then set their expectations around just a few men to do what the entire body is called to do. You hear me on this? Some may object, doesn't Paul say that those who lead and rule well are worthy of of double honor, specifically those who are tasked with regular preaching and teaching. Fair enough, let's read what he says in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-one to 25 Two. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So that there would be no division in the body. But that the members would have the same concern for each other. Friends, can I just, can I just tell you, one way that you can love me <laughs> as a pastor is to not think of me any differently than you think of yourself in the sense that I need you to perform and function in your gifting the same way that you need me to perform in mine. The gospel calls each and every one of us to be responsible for each other's discipleship and to be responsible for each other's walk with Jesus by following the one another commands that the Bible sets out and by functioning in the gifting that God has given each of us, and in that, each one of us is just as much in need of the others. This is what we're told by the metaphor, that we're given identity and function in the gospel, in the body of Christ. But now, what are we to do with these things in response to what we've been given, right? Well, as we said earlier, we, we, we turn to him in faith by giving ourselves to our neighbor we've said this plenty of times but but rightly understood the the christian life it always has this sort of uh outward orientation to it right here specifically to the other members of the same body of christ that you find yourself in what does this look like well i think i think two things i think it looks like what we do specifically but also how we do it what we do and how we do it first what do we do well we actually we actually use the gifts that God has given us. <laughs> this is God's will for your life, by the way, in case you didn't know that. And I'm, just, not just, I'm not just making that up or saying that to kind of be cute up here this morning. It's, it's right there in the text. Remember in verse 2 with the idea of, of not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember the parallel between that thought and the thought of our passage this morning. And then look back at verse 2 and see the purpose of it. Right at the end of verse 2 there so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. What is the will of God? It's what he's saying right here after that. <laughs> Be part of the local church. Be committed to the local church. Serve the local church. Use your gifts for the betterment, benefit of the local church. What a sigh of relief, friends, this morning, that we don't have to just sit out and gaze at the stars at night to figure out what the will of God is for our life. Amen, somebody, somebody. Somebody. It's written in his word, He tells us right here, <laughs> serve the members of your local church by exercising the gifts that God has given you, but that's not it's not how we treat it. We act like god's will is somehow revealed through my emotions. This is the same thing that happens all the way in uh all all the time in dating by the way uh, i went to <laughs> I went to a Christian college, um, and I can't tell you the number of times like we'd be Discipling guys or whatever, have guys around, and one of them would be uh, going through a breakup, and we'd be like, what happened, right? Like, what happened? Just, just yesterday, y'all were in love, right? Like, what? And, uh, and, and it always goes something like, they'd be like, ah, it's just not what God wanted anymore. <laughs> we'd be like, like, last week, God didn't want anything for you other than this girl, right? Like, that's what you're telling. Five seconds ago, this is, this, is, this is all he had for you. What do you mean this isn't what God wants for you anymore? And that's, that's life at a Christian college, honestly, in a nutshell. If you didn't go to a Christian college, I just summed up like 75% of, of student life for you there with that. And uh, I'm joking about all of this a little bit. Um, but let's not fool ourselves into thinking that, that the will of God is somehow hidden or revealed in our emotions. That's so off base. God's will for you in this is abundantly clear because he gives it to you in his word. Be in the local church and serve it as a member of the body of Christ. We see Paul modeling exactly what he's exhorting us to uh, throughout all of his letters and we see him modeling it here in these very verses. In verse 3 he says, For by the grace given to me I tell you and so what he goes on to tell us, it's, it's by the grace he's been given. And now in verse 6, we are called now according to the grace given to us to use the different gifts that we have. This is not unlike how he starts the letter in chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, we have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith. And so it's it's the grace and the gift that he's been given that he's now using to build up the body of Christ through his letters and teaching. And he's still doing that today through his scriptures. And now we are called to to follow in that same kind of work within our own giftings, again, according to the grace that God has bestowed upon us. If prophecy, use it according to the standard of one's faith. If service and service, if teaching and teaching, and on he goes and this is where oftentimes the conversation, it, it will kind of turn, right, to being about what the giftings are and which ones are kind of still around and which ones are not. And, and not that that's not a completely valid conversation to have and, and, and needed in the church. Uh, it's not really so much what the focus of this specific text is. The text is focused on each individual member being more concerned with others than they are themselves functioning in their God-given gift so that the entire body is functioning the way it should for the benefit of all its members. And so when it says, if your gift is teaching, do it in teaching, what does that mean? Well, use your gift and do it within your gifting. And again, this is all grounded in this idea that that we're all specific parts of a body with a specific function within that body. Uh, We could say that the Christian life, it kind of goes like this. What you are informs what you do. Or we could say it like this, imperatives always follow indicatives. The gospel first gives you identity like we've identified, then it tells you to walk in it. It's never the other way around. You're a coach? Okay. <laughs> Come up with a practice plan and, and lead the team with your strategy to success. You're a business leader? Okay, set, set company culture and move the business forward. You're a parent? Okay, okay. Drink some more coffee, try to get some more sleep, work on your self-control, right? And when any of those is lacking, you make up for it with the other two, usually with more coffee. You're a teacher in the house of God, teach God's people. You've got a gift of service, go serve God's people. Giving, do it with generosity, because that's what giving is. Leading, go lead diligently. Don't slack off from it. Do it. Why? Not so that you can look good, but because that's what the body needs. Because you're not an individual, you're part of the body. See, I feel like we've, we've said some of this several times already, but it's, it's easy to miss how we are and we are not supposed to kind of connect the dots here. Notice how the text, on one hand, it acknowledges that there are individual parts of the body with individual Functions and individual giftings, but it doesn't anywhere tell you to, to just go off and try to figure out what part you are so you know what to do. Are you following me on this? In other words, the gospel, it gives you this identity, but it doesn't give you anything more specific than what we've already said a part of the body. That's what you are. And as such, the graces or the gifts that the Spirit has given you or your specific function within that body, they're going to somewhat, to some degree, be informed by the actual needs of the body that you're a part of. Does that make sense? Because the point is, is not on your individual stuff; it's on... It's on the whole body. The point is not ultimately on your individual function. It's about the function of the entire body with each part working, serving in the capacity that's been given. And so the point of this, talking about the gifts of the body, it's not for you to just go home and sit and wonder and try to figure out what your specific gift is and how you can exercise it within the body. The point really is, just do it. Whatever it is, do it. And, and to some degree, hear me, it doesn't really need to be any more specific than that. Ideally, yes, this is... Something that you would be skilled in and and passionate about. Those may be good indicators of what types of things you should get involved in in your local church. Yes, hallelujah and amen, but let's not take any of those things too far. Because even in the text, notice that at least half the gifts or graces given at the end of the passage are things that every Christian is called to do. Do you see that? Serving, giving, exhortation. Showing mercy and, and some debate, others in this as well. Things that every Christian is called to do. Well, well, how can that be? I thought it was my unique gift. Nope. <laughs> Wrong question. You're making it about you. Your spiritual gift is not about your self-realization. Your spiritual gift is not about your self-actualization. Your spiritual gift is not about your self-fulfillment. It's about your contribution to the body of Christ. It's about the self-realization of the body. It's about the self-actualization of the body. It's about the self-fulfillment of the whole body. And, therefore, and this is what we really don't like sometimes, sometimes it has more to do with the needs of the body than it does the specific things that I may want to do or feel like I'm entitled to. There's no such mentioning in the Bible of the gift of of children's ministry. But God bless those who serve in children's ministry. Amen? There's no such mention of the gift of the sound booth. But God bless those who serve in the sound booth every week so that you all can hear what's being said. (laughs) Because it's about so much more than anything within any individual self. It's about the fullness of Christ's body being realized among us as we give our lives in service to one another. This was written some 500 or so years ago, and and it's, it's just as fitting for today, if not more so. It says, Unfortunately, this type of life is unknown in our day. It is not preached about or sought after. Indeed, we are totally ignorant of our name and do not even know why we are Christians or bear that name. Now, we ought to know that we are named after Christ and not because he is absent, but precisely because he dwells in our midst. In this way, listen to how he describes Christ in our midst. Our trust in him Means that we are Christ to one another and act towards our neighbors as Christ has acted towards us. This is the understanding of the gospel that leads us to be more concerned with the good of people around me than I am about myself. It it prevents me from thinking more highly of myself than I ought to and instead consider the good of others before my own. It should lead me to consider not just the use of my gifts that God has given me, but also how specifically I use it. Uh, we're, we're to use our gifts, but now secondly, how do we do it? And we'll begin to, to wrap up with this. We use our gifts by faith, and we do it for the good of the body. Verse 6, he says, according to the grace given to us, which again is the gifts that we've been given here, use it according to the standard of one's faith. Well, what's the connection here? Well, it's, it's only by faith that we can actually see everything that we've been talking about, Right? what our identity is, what our function is as members of a local church, and then be able to see what the point of our gifting is. That it's not not ultimately for me, that it's about the people around me. It's only by faith that we can have this kind of sober or sensible view of ourselves and not an inflated one. And it's only by faith that our minds can truly be transformed in this way. But I think a helpful thing here... Uh, t- to think about is maybe not so much like what faith would look like in this, but maybe what a lack of faith in the use of my gift might look like. It could look a number of ways, but let 's just mention a few a few quickly. One possible way this could look is that it would cause me to to hold back in offering up what the Lord has given me for the sake of other people, now, whether that 's for my own gain or my own my own reputation or whatever it may be that I would that I would actually withhold my gift or withhold the extent, maybe, to which I'm willing to exercise it for the good of others. But the voice of faith would say this about my life and, and gifts that the Lord has given me. It would say something like, I will do nothing in this life except what is profitable, necessary, and life-giving for my neighbor. Since, <laughs> through faith, I have an abundance of all good things in Jesus but a lack of faith cannot say that a lack of faith it, it doesn't realize that it has truly has everything that it needs in Christ and so it can now offer everything that it has for the good of others friends one thing that we need to realize is that as we continue to grow uh, grow, grow in faith and we continue to be conformed uh, sorry transformed by the renewing of your minds that we learn more not just about uh, the way that the world works, or God, or maybe even how to make my life easier, more comfortable, but that I would learn more about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the more that we see that and grow in that and live in that, day by day and moment by moment, that it's just the place that we live, the more we're able to see that my entire life can be given to the people I'm called to serve because I have an abundance of everything that I need in Jesus. He's given me everything, and so I, in turn, can give everything of myself to others. Another way that it could look is that we would fail to see our own need for the local church. Right to, to recognize my identity in Christ and in the body, it's to realize that I'm not only called to exercise my gifts for the good of others, but that I also need everyone else to exercise their gifts for my own benefit. This is to think sensibly. It's part of what that looks like, to see my need for the local church and the ministry of other people in my life the new the the picture of the church in the new testament in the christian life it, it's overwhelmingly communal but a lack of faith would cause us to slip back into that to the old man right and the way that he would think of himself and define himself and maybe see what it is he needs individually with self autonomy designed and concerned with with his own prosperity but faith sees that even now, on this side of salvation, I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace. Every moment. It's faith that sees that, that I'm, I'm, I'm not able to do this on my own. That I need the help of other people, other Christians, to, to, to see me through to the end. That's how, what the Lord uses to get me there. Faith sees that just because God saved me, it doesn't mean I'm not still completely dependent on Christ in my salvation, that one of the ways that I actually get to interact with him is through his people. Nate, you can go ahead and come up. We're gonna, we're gonna end with this. One last way that this could look, lack of faith in your gifting, is that we would fail to see our need for Christ himself. What do I mean by that? Surely none of us here would say that we don't, we don't need Jesus anymore, Yes, but there's a way I think that God's people they can they can fall into love with God's gifts and not necessarily be loving God himself. There's a way that we can we can desire God's gifts but not desire God. What do I mean by this? Well, we could illustrate it like this quickly. Uh we're coming up on the holidays right. Um and if you if you walk into uh a mall during the month of December, there's a uh, a really interesting phenomenon that goes on uh, where you have old men, a little overweight, dressed up in red velvet suits and long white beards. And, uh, and then you have like a line of people, right, standing in front of him waiting to, to go sit on his lap and tell him everything that they want. But here's the point. Nobody in line waiting to see Santa is really interested in Santa himself, right? Right? Nobody's like, I just want to go talk to Santa. I just want to go up and ask Santa how he's doing. I just want to, you know, have a conversation with him. I'm really interested in staying in touch with Santa after this, right? Nobody says that. All that they're concerned about in that moment is what they think Santa can give them. And one of the dangers for all of us here is that the same would be true of us in our relationship with Christ. Because here's the reality. If everything that we're saying is true this morning, that, that this is what the gifts are all about in the first place, everyone functioning in their gift, that picture that the Bible paints, it's about the fullness of Christ being realized here on earth for all of us. It's Christ made manifest. And so the question really is, do you want a relationship with Jesus? Or do you just want the things that he has to offer you? And friends, if it's, if it's Jesus himself that you want, if it's relationship with Jesus that you're after, this is where you can find him. This is his body. It's right here in his church that he's given us, friends, to, to taste and to be able to see and experience the goodness of Christ in our lives in real, tangible ways. And friends, all you need to do is by faith... And in humility, come and be a part of it. Amen? Let me pray and we'll close with one more song. And Lord, we again, we just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you that in our ignorance, and in our inability, our sinfulness, not even really understanding what our greatest need is, Lord, that you, you made a way in all of it. You drew us to yourself, Lord. You saved us graciously, not by anything that we did, but but on the merits of Christ, Lord. And and still, to this day, still, you are you are making a way in things that we we so often just don't understand. So often we fall back into bad ways of thinking, worldly ways of thinking, sinful ways of thinking, and we come here every week to be to be reminded of truth, to be changed. have our eyes and our hearts and our emotions set where they need to be And, and God you promised that when your word goes out it doesn't return void and so I pray and I ask this morning that you would you would not let it return void in any one heart this morning that we would be convinced by the gospel we can be convinced by your word that we'd be convinced by what it would have of us and ultimately by our ongoing need of grace and of truth and of your people And Lord, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.